Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Empty Tomb Radio. My name is Dustin and today we're going over the first chapter of Mark. That last episode was kind of just like the pregame episode. This is where, this is the kickoff, right? This is where we start. Um, really excited about the book of Mark. Um, I get like a strange feeling every time I start a new gospel. Each one is, like I said, they're so different. Um, they're so fun to go through and just to see kind of different people's perspectives on, on different things, um, especially in this time period. So, yeah, I'm really excited to get started. Uh, I hope you guys are too. We're going to be jumping around all over the place. It's going to be fun. It's going to be um, a learning experience for all of us, including myself. And, yeah, I hope you guys are ready. Uh, I just got to get out of Matthew mindset and go into Mark mindset. I'm all about Mark. Like I said last time in the introduction episode, I'm on Mark's fan club now. So, before we get into it, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for this this peaceful time, Lord, that I can sit and soak up your word. I pray the Holy Spirit comes over me, helps me interpret the things in these passages, Father. Please help me understand and please speak through me. Please help me not lean on my own understanding of this, Father, but please help me lean on yours. Please enlighten us. Please guide us through the scripture. And Father, help us find you. Help us find you throughout our days. Powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, everybody. Mark, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ... The Son of God. The first sentence of Mark's gospel is considered to be the title of the gospel. It is worded like a title and it sounds like a title in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached of the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. As it is written in the prophets. Who are these prophets, you might add? Let's flip over to Malachi 3.1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Let's go to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. 
Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This voice is important. This prophetic voice is important because there hadn't been a prophetic voice in Israel for over 300 years. People were worried that God had stopped sending prophets. So when we have John, John the Baptist, JTB, with his unconventional ministry, his very controversial ministry, we needed people at that time to tell us this is who he was prophesied that he was prophesied about it told us about him this is why we should listen to him because look at he's back here he's in the old testament if we don't have that connection he's just another crazy guy screaming at people dunking him in a river make his path straight we saw that in isaiah when the kings would travel the roads, they would they would call on like the town folks and everything to make the path straight and make the path smooth for the kings as they would travel up and down the roads. So John is doing that in a spiritual sense. He's, a, he's getting everyone into a posture to align themselves with the Messiah who is coming. And that is exactly what John is doing as he's baptizing everyone in Jordan. And so they all went out to him in the land of Judea and the people of Jerusalem. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan. Now John's baptism differed than the Jewish custom. The Jewish custom was to sprinkle water. Kind of like a Catholic Catholicism baptism. John was fully immersing people. He was dunking them in. He was holding them down and bringing them back up. The Jews would do the sprinkling baptism to Gentiles when they were converted and around the time they were getting circumcised. So for John to be baptizing Jews is a pretty remarkable feat because the Jews would have to be Admitting that they were as far away from God as the Gentiles were. To be baptized like a Gentile. This didn't go over well with a lot of people. And we see why. Um, a little later and we see how... John became such a controversial figure and people were after him. People wanted to put an end to his ministry. He was under attack big time. Let's go to verse 6. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin around his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whom shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. This is a callback to Isaiah. 
or Isaiah, excuse me, Elijah, Elijah. Let's go to Second Kings, chapter one, verse eight. They answered him. He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist, and he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. I've talked pretty extensively about the comparisons between Elijah and what's up, BDK? Welcome, brother. I talked a lot of a lot before about the comparisons between Elijah and John the Baptist, but um, we can see the callbacks are already beginning. It's already, it's already starting. Verse 8 says, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Verse 9, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway, coming up out of the water, he saw the heaven open up and the spirit of dove descending upon him. And there came a voice of heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days tempted by Satan. With the wild beasts and the angels ministering to him. There's a lot right there we need to chew on. So immediately, this word immediately in the Greek is euthos or euthos. And Mark uses it more than 40 times in this gospel. So Mark is a big fan of this word. <laughs> Jesus is immediately doing things. He's going around all over the place and immediately healing people and immediately going into the wilderness. Um, if we go to Luke, hold on, let's jump over to Luke real quick because I want to point something out. Luke chapter 3, verse 22. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son. With you I am well pleased. There's a very key couple words in there that I think it passed over a lot. Like a, in bodily form, like a dove. So the Holy Spirit has like a physical manifestation coming on Jesus in this moment. And this is one of my favorite moments in the Bible because all three members of the Godhead are there at the same time. Like, it's very hard to explain that to somebody who doesn't know what's going on, right? So just as we have all three of the people of the Godhead... In, in Genesis, we also have it here, right? Right where Jesus starts his ministry. The first chapter of Genesis, we have them all lined up. Genesis. I got my actual Bible. In the creation, the beginning, God created heaven and earth. The earth was without form, and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. So we have, in the beginning, God, Yahweh, created the heaven and earth, was out form. The Spirit was upon the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Gospel of John also says that, in the beginning, 
The Word was God. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. With God. All things were made by Him. So, very significant moments in the Bible, we have all three members of the Godhead coming together at the same time. I think about this verse all the time. I think I said this in my Matthew one, I'll say it in my Luke one, and wherever else it comes up, man. Like, I always think about all three coming together at the same time. What a powerful moment that is. And a voice comes from heaven and says, Thou art my son, who I am well pleased. So immediately we have the identity of Jesus being given to him. Jesus, my son, this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. We have the approval of the Father. We have the identity. The biggest thing in our life that we have to protect is our identity. And what's the first thing that happens to Jesus after his identity is given to him? He is driven out. The Spirit drives him into the wilderness, and he is tempted by Satan. We find out that Satan questions his identity right after it's given to him. Right after God tells him, you are my son. And what's what Satan say? If, if you really are the son of God, go ahead. Turn this rock into a piece of bread. What do you mean? What do you mean if I am the son of God? I know I'm the son of God. If Satan's going to come question the identity of Jesus after the heavens open up, the spirit comes down in bodily form and Jesus is given his identity, you can best be sure that your identity is going to be in question as well. It is important that we know what our identity is. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been grafted into the family, you are a child of God. You are part of the kingdom. That is the identity we need to have. That's the identity we need to walk in. I've had... I've had so much experience with alcoholism and, and drug abuse my family with my dad with some people I'm going to keep private with friends I've been to a lot of AA meetings I've been to a lot of NA meetings and everyone always stands up hi I'm Greg I'm an alcoholic you know I've been sober for 40 years it's like they carry that weight on their back their whole life and they tell them in there you know, like you, you have a, a spiritual, they say they have the serenity prayer. And even people who don't believe in Jesus say, oh, wow, the serenity prayer is like one of the greatest things that I've ever seen. And it is. It's truly remarkable. It's powerful. I love it as well. But they never shake that identity of the old self. When Jesus was baptized... Do you think Jesus needs to be baptized? No, but he's our prime example. He goes down to the water. The water comes over him. It washes him clean. A new creation comes out of the water, right? When we're baptized. That old guy is down in the water. 
We left him in the depths. He's in the abyss. We're a new creation. We have a new identity. We don't need to carry that old identity around. We can be cautious. We can. We, we, we don't have to forget where we came from. But we have an identity. And Satan and his little grummy hands, man, especially with drug and alcohol abuse, like he wants you back very much so. And he's going to remind you every day. One of the greatest things that I, I remember, I'm kind of getting off topic here. I was baptized when I was like 27 on or 26 something on Easter Sunday with my sister's both of them and my dad and I forgot about that until my dad passed away and my sister's like remember when we all got baptized with dad on Easter Sunday I was like dude I forgot about that that was amazing that was amazing I remember carrying around that weight my whole life because I never got baptized before and just to have that like public declaration in front of everybody and just getting dunked down in the water and the person saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and baptize me and bring me up. Man, I never felt like such a spiritual high as I did that day. It was so awesome. I was like, we all went to, they gave us shirts, you know, like I still have it. I still have a blue shirt. It says like raised to new life. We're all wearing the shirts. We went to Vaughn's. We bought like some veggie trays and like some stuff for lunch. We all got together and we hung out afterwards. And man, it was just so cool. And I totally forgot about that experience. Um, but baptism, I mean, that that public declaration is just, it's, it's something that is very, very powerful. And a lot of people fear baptism. Like, even if you're self-conscious about your clothes, like, they'll baptize you with whatever you're wearing. Like, go in with your jeans, your shoes. Like, they don't care. They'll dunk you. Like, you don't have to take off your shirt. You don't have to have a beach body. They'll, you'll get dunked, like, wherever. So, if you haven't been baptized, man, I would just encourage you to. It's, it's such a unique, like, experience. I can't explain it. It's just that alignment, right? It's aligning yourself with the Father. It's aligning yourself. It's, you're, you're proclaiming your new identity in front of a group of people, right? It all comes back to identity and your alignment with God. All right. Um, let's see. Okay, verse 13 is really cool. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. So when we say with the wild beasts, we have like a certain unity with, with nature that Jesus has. We have, it, it, it's hard to explain like what I'm, the word I'm looking for. He, he, he's like, he, the wild beasts are with him. And the angels are with them. So like all of creation, right? From the lowly beasts of the field to the divine angels of heaven are all with Jesus. Right? Does that make sense? Like he has complete dominion over all of that. And 
it's just from like the tiniest molecule to the most divine beings, right? It's all under Jesus's dominion. Like that's what I that's what I read when I read this. I've read I've read this so many times and like I I know, like when I was reading it yesterday, I kind of just stopped and I just thought about like with the wild beast. Like why was that included? You know, if like you stop and think about like why any of these sentences are in here, you can draw like a whole sermon around like one sentence of the Bible. Like everything is in here for a reason. And the Bible never gets old. The, like you hear people say the words are alive. Like the book is alive. It's the one book you'll never finish because it's alive. And like that's what I see when I read. Like I, I just get caught up on these little things. And they're so important. They're so crucial to me. And like just a, a little sentence like that that I would have read over before, you know, is, is very important. I find it I find it super cool. So don't be afraid to... Don't be afraid about all of the other stuff. If you want to stop here for a while, that's cool. Do it. All right, verse 14. If you're listening to this later, by the way, I'm recording myself. <laughs> so I'm, I'm holding up my Bible and, and doing stuff to the camera. I'm, I mean, I'm recording myself the video. Oh my gosh, what a hot mess. I just... All right, verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Okay, this is what I was talking about with Mark jumping all over the place. Because, like, we didn't find out John was in prison until, like, Matthew, like, 10, 11 or something. Like, you know, and we're not even out of the first column of the Bible yet. And John's already in, in prison. Okay. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now that's another thing. Matthew would always say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because remember it was written for a Jewish audience. They didn't they were very selective about when they used the word God. Mark says the kingdom of God is at hand, right? Um verse 15 we have Jesus speak for the first time in the book of Mark and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent ye and believe the gospel we have two Greek words for time the first one we're probably all familiar with is chronos a chronos is like simple chronological time and then we have kairos kairos is like a strategic time or like an opportune time and that word kairos is the word that is used right here. So the time is fulfilled. It's like the strategic opportune time is now. Like this is that time that you've been hearing about, that you've been looking for. What's up, Robert? This is that time. believe in the gospel the greek word for believe right here I, I don't know how to say any greek words by the way it says pistuio <laughs> p-i-s-t-e-u-o this isn't just acknowledge you know i think a lot of time when we say you know if you believe in jesus like if you acknowledge jesus that's not what this is saying 
This word means relationship, trust, full dependence. So if we read that the opportune time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, have a relationship, trust, and full dependence on the gospel, th th those words come so much more alive. I talk about my wife a lot. My wife is Mexican. She speaks Spanish. And she always tells me how English is such an ugly language. And she'll tr my Spanish is pretty choppy. I can get by. But, like, she... I was like, wait, what, did, what was that? She's like, it doesn't translate to English. Like, it just doesn't. <laughs> She's like, you need to learn the language. You need to understand. This helps three, two, king of heaven. This Hold on. Oh, man. That's a lot, PDK. I'm going to read this. 3.2, the kingdom of heaven, this phrase, Malkut Shamayim, in Hebrew, was not unique to John the Baptist or Jesus. It was favorite of the rabbis and appears dozens of times in rabbinic literature. Heaven was used as a substitute for God's name, making the terms kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God identical. Okay. This phrase has been misunderstood by Christians as referring to the afterlife. On one hand, the kingdom of heaven simply means the rule and reign of God breaking forth in the present moment. On the other, it could point to the messianic age where the rule of God comes to fulfillment. Both in the Gospels and according to the Dead Sea Scrolls, the kingdom is both available and not yet fully arrived. However, the New Testament occasionally differs others defers others use kingdom in that kingdom sometimes has eschatological overtones Rather than a simple rule of God in the here and now. That's awesome. That does help. I'm like, try to, try to wrap your head around that. That the kingdom is both available and not yet fully arrived. You know. Hold on. I don't know what happened. Yeah, so those terms, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God, they're interchangeable. They are one and the same, right? So the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And say so he's not referring to the afterlife. So, oh man. Sorry, BDK. <laughs> Trying to just get my thoughts straight here. That was really good. Thank, I, I, I appreciate you saying that over. I need to, uh, I need to sit on that for a second. Okay. So verse 16, so we talked about the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel, right? So have full understanding, have full dependence, have full trust in the gospel. 
Verse 16, Now as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said to them, Come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Straight away they forsook their nets and followed him. And we had gone a little far, farther thence, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the ship, mending their nets. And straight away he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with hired servants and went after him. So, this isn't the first time. Um, this probably isn't the first time that Jesus encounters uh, Simon and Andrew. A Andrew is was a he was a disciple of John the Baptist. So Andrew rolled around with John a lot, and Peter or Simon is Andrew's brother. So they'd probably crossed paths before. And this is where Jesus calls them to discipleship. Now I fish like I grew up in Southern California. I live close to the beach. I fish. Like, that's what I do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, gonna to go on a sidetrack here. Look, the beaches are closed. Everyone's freaking out in Southern California. We all have a unique relationship with the beach. Some people surf. Some people boogie board. Some people uh, just walk on the pier. Whatever. I fish. Like, I'll swim out with the surfers, cast my line, and swim back. And I'll... You know, that's what I do at the beach. Well, the other day it was like 95 degrees. And my wife was like going stir crazy at the home, being like quarantined and everything. She's like, we need to go. Let's go for a drive. So we drive to the beach. Um, it was like 95 at our house. We get to the beach. It's sunny and 72. Like, how beautiful is that? Sunny and 72, Southern California. So the beaches are closed. There's cops on the on the beach. And I was like, I smell the beach. I feel I feel the wind of the ocean hit my face and the windows are down. I was like, babe, pull over the car. I my only shorts are board shorts. I don't have like khaki shorts or whatever. Like all I have is board shorts. That's all I wear. So like anytime I can just go to the water whenever I want. So I was like, babe, pull over the car. I'm going to run to the ocean. Like, I just need to get into the ocean. And she's like, there's cops everywhere. I was like, I don't care. Pull over the car. I'm going to run past the cops and go in the ocean. I was like, empty tomb radio is about to get freaking arrested right now. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. Just pull the car over. I want to go. She's like, no, I'm not pulling the car over. Well, at the beach, I'm kind of glad she didn't because we had something called a red tide. I don't know if you've heard of a red tide before, but the ocean looks like brown and there's all this red phytoplankton all in the ocean and at nighttime when the waves are coming in it like disrupts or like it makes these phytoplankton glow in in the waves so it's like the waves come and they're glowing bright blue and it's just like the coolest thing ever like it's just a magical like looking thing like just glowing ocean it looks like something out of a movie. It's just, it's just, it's just incredible. But so at nighttime it looks cool, but in, in daytime it looks pretty bad and it smells kind of bad. So where am I going with this? I was like, there's got to be a parallel between like the red tide and Christianity. I was like, you know, Christians, 
they were like brown, <laughs> like the ocean looked brown during the day. Nobody wants to approach them, you know, like they smell funny. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but at nighttime, when the darkness comes and they get disrupted, they glow and they shine, right? Like that's what we need to be. We need to glow and we need to we need to shine. So uh, that that was my parallel there. But when I was talking about fishing, so when I go to the beach and I go fishing. It is 100% more important to prepare properly before you go fishing than to just like show up and not know what you're doing because you're not going to catch any fish. So anytime we have like a fishing analogy and Jesus is like, we, you are going to become fishers of men. I think about the preparation that needs to go beforehand before you just go fishing, right? It's like before I go fishing, well, first of all, if you're going to go fishing at the beach, if you're using a reel for fresh water, it's gonna it it's gonna solidify, it's gonna rust up. You, you know, you might be able to use it one time, but if you go back the next time, that reel is gonna be done. So you have to have a, a saltwater reel, right? You have to have a backpack. If you're hiking on a jetty, there's sharp rocks everywhere. You you're gonna go barefoot on sharp, slippery rocks? I don't think so. You know, are you gonna swim out? You're gonna need board shorts. What kind of how big of line are you using what kind of hooks are you using what kind of bait are you using like all of these things you have to consider before you even cast your line right and then you have to wait so like the preparation of jesus saying come with me and you will become fishers of men like i know these guys weren't using fishing reels but they were using their nets and it says they were mending their nets in here so they were preparing to go catch fish so like jesus whole process he's inviting them out he's calling them and saying you're going to become this it's a process it's a process that they must prepare for um james James, the son of De Zebedee and John, his brother. Zebedee was a, he was a renowned fisherman. He had a very successful fisherman. We know that Zebedee had many servants indicating that he was kind of like more wealthy, like a more wealthy of fishermen. Like he might have had like a fishing fleet. He wasn't like a, a lowly fisherman. Um, and straight away he called them. There it says, and the hired servants went after him. They left their father in the ship. <laughs> I didn't notice that before. And straight away he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. Okay, so the servants didn't go after him. James and John are like, see you, dad. And they left. <laughs> and they just left the servants in the boat and immediately they followed Jesus. So and then there were four, right? So we have Simon and Andrew and James and John unclean spirit rebuke verse 21 and they went to Capernaum and straight away on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught and they were astonished at his doctrine for he taught them as one that had had authority not as the scribes and there was a and there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying let us alone what have we to do with thee thou son of Jesus of Nazareth art thou come to destroy us I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn, 
tore on him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all were amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even unclean spirits that they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region about Galilee. A couple things here. Jesus taught with authority they had never seen before. It says, not as the scribes. So we can assume the scribes didn't teach with authority. The scribes were... Hey, buddy, I don't know how to say your name. I don't know, maybe you can put that in English. The scribes would just repeat what they had seen, right? Or what they had previously recorded in their... In their text so to teach with authority not only do you have to like fully understand the word but you have to be extremely confident in what you are saying to to preach with authority right and so they never heard these doctrines before i was looking up some of the the jewish exorcisms that they would do and they would make like this whole like magical experience out of the thing where they would make a show out of it and they'd put a cup of water next to the person. And if the cup of water tipped over, that meant the spirit had come out. And that they were, uh, like, successful in their exorcism. But we see Jesus didn't have to do that. But we see that this unclean spirit, this demon, says, leave us alone. And says, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The Holy One of God. It says Jesus rebuked him. Saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And it says everyone was amazed. But the demon is acknowledging Jesus. The demon knows who Jesus is. Which is a whole other teaching on itself. How the demons know who Jesus is. Have they encountered Jesus before? That is a whole other teaching that I'm not going to get into right now. <laughs> I believe... Well, actually, I'm just going to stop myself right there. Um, we have the demon acknowledging Jesus, saying he is the Holy One of God, and... The crowd is amazed and it says he had power and authority to demand the unclean spirits, the demons, and his fame spread throughout the region, right? Verse 29, and forthwith, when they come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever and anon they tell him of her. So, Simon, or Peter's mother-in-law, um, she has this thing called the burning fever. I think it's called, yeah, the burning fever. The burning fever is described in the Talmud. And they had, a, like, a special process of dealing with people who came down with the burning fever. Um, it consisted of doing like some I don't 
There's another thing in the Talmud that had them deal with the leper. I took notes on the leper. I didn't take notes on the fever, but um, I'll, I'll circle back with kind of the Talmud's teachings on certain things um, in just a minute when we get down to the leper and um, see kind of like their reasoning behind dealing with people who are, are sick or have a, have a disease or something of the sort. Um, and verse 31 says, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered to them, ministered unto them. So Jesus didn't have to do any special things by, by Talmud standards. He didn't have to go collect herbs and mix them with something and like make a paste and put it on her or anything like that. What did he do? He says he took her by the hand and lifted her up. And here we go with Mark using that word again. And immediately the fever left her. Verse 32. And at even, or like evening, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers and diseases and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. Once again, how are these demons knowing who Jesus is? Verse 37, And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. Verse 38, And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. And he preached in the synagogues throughout all Galilee and cast out devils. Jesus is going around throwing out demons all over the place. My, uh, I, I call him my mentor. Like I've kind of just made him my mentor. It's, just, it's my uh, good brother Mike. He's been leading my men's group for a long time. Mike's wife is one of the senior pastors at the church that I've attended for a long time. And she travels to countries all over the place. She goes to Asia, um, Thailand, I guess Thailand's in Asia. Asia's another country. So she's going all over the place. She was telling the story one day how um, they were preaching to all these women and all these demon-possessed women were, were lashing out like while they were preaching the gospel. And she says... She was like speaking of the demon. She's like, "It's okay if you stay here, but if you lash out, like we're gonna ca- we're gonna get you out of here. And we're gonna cast you out." And it said like they were silent. But she said she had this one encounter with somebody. And I'm sorry if I'm butchering the story, Mike. It's really powerful, and I think about it a lot. She was ministering to this person who was like very heavily demon possessed, and she said that she could see like physical manifestations, something like moving around and like her head like I was, I was picturing it like have you ever seen the mummy like the scarabs that crawl under the skin and move around that's how i was picturing like the thing like as she was describing it like moving around the head and she says she asked the person who's like possessed by a demon she's like do you know who i am and like the demon responds says like yeah i know who you are <clears throat> and she was like whoa like whoa like that, that was kind of freaky you know so like that was a firsthand story, like of my like mentor's wife. Like she has no reason to lie to me. So 
I think that the demons here who know that know who Jesus is, I think they know who they've encountered him before as um, a second person of the Trinity back in the Old Testament, which is um, I've been beating around it, but some somebody called him the angel of the Lord. I we can get into that at, at another time, but obviously, like Mike's wife Julie didn't encounter encounter demons in the Old Testament, but somehow they still knew who she was. Um. I mean, she was there obviously ministering to, like, the broken town. And we see the, we see the same thing in third world countries all over the place. We don't see it. We, like, these demon-possessed people here in America, like, we don't see it as much as they do over there. Um, I'm, I'm kind of getting distracted, but demons just casting out devils all over the place. And they all acknowledge who he is. And he Jesus commands them. He says, be quiet. You know, like a lot of the exorcisms and stuff that you see, they like encourage. I'm not saying go check out exorcisms, but like they encourage these demons to speak and to manifest. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus silences them. He's like, be quiet. And he casts them out. Um... Oh, verses 32 through 34. There's there's something in here that's pretty important. So in my Matthew introduction video, I just recorded I don't think anyone listened to it I yet. I, I talked about how the Jews and the Romans recorded time differently. The Jews' day started when the sun rose. It ended when the sun set. Romans record time like we do now, where it's the two 12-hour periods that begin at midnight. Um, so in verse 32, it says, When the sun did set... They brought everyone who was diseased. So the Sabbath was over, right? So these are all Jews that were observing the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was over. And so like the whole town went, went to the house. So these are, these are all Jews that are being ministered to by Jesus, right? It says John was baptizing the Jews. It says the people were from Judea and Jerusalem. I'm sure there were some Gentiles in there, but like these are are Jews coming to Jesus. Exactly, Robert. Jesus didn't use rituals, he used authority, just as it's as it says on here. But these Jews, after the Sabbath was over, I mean let's be real, guys. Like, if you're possessed by a demon and Jesus is outside, you wait till sun goes down before you go there because you want to not disrupt the sabbath like this is what jesus came for and he's like you you hypocrites like what are you guys talking about like he, he throws out all these laws as as we'll see and we'll get into and we got into in matthew but just the fact that they waited for sun to go down for the sabbath to be over to come to the house to be healed and and jesus heals him he heals the whole town Verse 40, um, I'm just going to finish out 40, 40 through 45, a leper is healed. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him 
and forthwith sent him away, and said unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to thy priest, and offer thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Verse 45, But he went out and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter the city, but was without in desert places. But was without in desert places, and they came to him from every quarter. Leprosy is bad. Oh man, I was reading up on leprosy. I studied it before, but man, it's bad. Like the slow, painful death that it comes. You get all the stuff over your bodies. Your can you hear that? That's my baby in the crib on the next wall over, kicking, kicking the wall. <laughs> She's up. This is almost over. So, I perceive, like, your skin starts to boil. Your fingernails fall out. Your gums can't hold your teeth in anymore, and it falls out. They made people stand six feet apart. Sound familiar? It's highly contagious. Lepers had to dress like somebody that was mourning for the dead. They were considered the living dead or the walking dead. The leper asked Jesus, if you're willing, make me clean. It doesn't ask, heal me. It says, make me clean. We talked about the cleanliness before, but the it was so important for a Jew to be clean because if you were deemed unclean, you weren't allowed into the temple. They wouldn't allow you to go worship God. You couldn't bring your sacrifices to the altar. You had a, you were out. They wouldn't let you in. So that's why he says, go to the priest and show him that you are clean. And let the priest announce that you are clean. And it says, say, say nothing to anybody. It says he went out and, and published it to a blaze. And then said Jesus couldn't openly enter any cities anymore. Um, and it said Jesus moved with compassion. Lepers didn't have any compassion. Everyone treated lepers with disgust. That show The Chosen had that that leper come in to try to like pawn off some of his concrete tools or something. And you, you saw like as soon as that guy's sleeve went up, he was like, oh, like what are you doing here? Get out of here. Why would you come in here? Like lepers were treated poorly. But Jesus spoke the man clean. I said he spoke and as soon as he spoke, the man was clean. Speaking, right? The word. The breath of life. Just as when Jesus speaks, he's going to kill the man of perdition in the temple, right? What I want to talk about real quick before I end is the elements in the Talmud used for cleansing a leper are from like a Levitical ceremony. It's in Leviticus uh, 14, 4 through 7. But it, it was the same things to cleanse a leper that you had to use as you cleanse the dead body. And this is what I'm talking about, guys. My, oh, it's not frozen anymore. Okay, good. Um, 
when somebody was defiled by a dead body or a leper, right, they had to use a form of cedar wood, hyssop. Hyssop is like a, a, a aromatic plant that's part of the mint family. And scarlet. And you had to like get these elements and use them to cleanse somebody with leprosy. Leviticus 14, 4 through 7. The priest shall command them to take him who is to be cleansed, two live clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. He shall take the live bird with cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip them in the live bird in the blood that the bird was killed over fresh water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who was to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go in the open field. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes and shave off all his hair and bathe himself in water and he shall be clean. It says all that. Then on the seventh day he shall shave off all the hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. Bathe his whole body in his water and he shall be clean. And then it goes on. It, it, it's way more than that. But if you were deemed unclean, you were denied access to God in the temple. Being clean was more than being healed. So when this man said, if you will, make me clean. It says, Jesus moved with compassion. He said, I am willing. And he, he healed him. He healed him immediately. Right on the spot. So that cleansing ritual, that is found in Leviticus. There's a similar thing in the Talmud for the burning fever that Peter's mother had. I, I didn't write it down. I read it. It was, it was something similar. It brought elements and they had to do something to, to, to heal her. But Jesus didn't have to do any of that. Just as Robert said right here, Jesus didn't use rituals. He used authority. And that's Mark chapter 1. It was crazy. We were all over the place. <laughs> I love Mark. Mark is awesome. Mark wastes no time. <laughs> it's about the actions, right? Jesus healed the whole, whole town. Cast out devils all over the place. But the part that I want you to remember in a week from now or, or whenever is that part that says believe the gospel and that Greek word for believe which is to have full trust full dependence on the gospel. Not just acknowledge the gospel because anybody can acknowledge the gospel. depend on it, rely on it. 
so thank you all for joining me. Thank you all for listening to my random beach talk. Um, <laughs> I just missed the beach. <laughs> they opened up the beach today, but you can't uh, you can't do anything. You can run or walk on the beach. That's it. Like, come on, man. <sighs> yeah. Anyways, I miss fishing. I miss the beach. I miss a lot of stuff. <laughs> I hope we get back to normal life soon. I really do. Um, for my kids' sake, man, being cooped up at home all day, it sucks not being able to take them anywhere. But thanks, Robert. Thanks, BDK, for joining me on this one. I love you guys. Uh, I'm just gonna close this out in a quick prayer, and I gotta, I gotta boogie. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for an almost quiet Bible study session here in the household. Uh, Lord, just as your word is alive and speaks to me, Father, I pray that it does to everyone hearing this, Lord. I pray that we all believe, we all trust, we all depend on you daily. Father, I pray that we, we don't simply read the word like a novel and move on and, and forget about it, Lord. But I, I pray that these words are impacted, that they're tattooed on our lives and on our hearts. Father, please draw us closer to you each and every day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for everything you have given us. I want to humbly and humility, all my humility, say thank you, Lord. I wish there was another word in English that meant more than thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Father. In the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. I love you all. Grace and peace, brothers. Until next time. Take care. And bye.